Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Hey friend out there, how you doing? My name is Jim Heskett and this is the Thriller Fiction Podcast where I, Jim Heskett, read um, thriller fiction. Uh, Up to this point, it's all been by me. So hey, this is my show. Welcome to it. If you're looking for the show where I do interviews with other authors, that is called Your Favorite Thriller, which if you go to Facebook and if you search for Your Favorite Thriller or the Thriller Fiction Podcast, these two shows share a Facebook page. Also, uh, you can find those interviews on YouTube uh, under author Jim Heskett. And there's a uh, Twitter uh, handle, uh, ThrillerPod, I think. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't look at Twitter because I hate it. So that's <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter, but don't expect me to, to uh, interact and um, be very present on Twitter. So what are we doing here um, on this inaugural episode of the fifth season? Is it inaugural? I don't even know if that's the right word. I'm going to be reading to you the first chapter of Shadow Soldiers, Lane Parish, a spy thriller at number one. And I'm also going to start off with giving you some behind-the-scenes information. I figured I'd get to the, the good stuff right up front. So in case if you don't care about me reading the chapter to you, you could just uh, hear the behind-the-scenes stuff and then check out after that if that's all you care about. So here's the skinny, the 411 on Shadow Soldiers. I initially wrote this book because I had invented Lane Parrish in uh, the Micah Reed book, Blood Thief, the third book in the Micah Reed series, because I needed Micah to make a friend. I wanted Micah to have a friend, and I wanted him to have someone who was a good balance to him, because at that point, one of the subplots in the book is that Micah is a year sober, uh, he's a, a year away from his last drink of alcohol, and he's kind of trying to figure out, like, okay, I'm a year sober, now what do I do? How do I go out and contribute to society, and how do I be a regular person out there in the world? And so one of the things that his boss and AA sponsor Frank says is, why don't you go make a friend? You know, go out and find somebody who you gel with and, and make friends with that person. And so I wanted Micah to have a friend. So he sort of stumbles into this friendship with this guy, and I wanted Lane to be... Uh, so I initially invented Lane to be a lot of the things that Micah wasn't, whereas Micah is kind of an average Joe who has this dark past that he um, didn't necessarily choose for himself. Lane Parrish is... Um, and, and Micah is physically very average. You know, he's... he's um, He's not ultra handsome. He's not ripped. You know, he doesn't have huge um, biceps. But Lane does. Lane is like a super hot guy. He's about 10 years older than Micah. Lane is in his early 40s, whereas Micah is around 30. Lane is ripped. He's cut. You know, he's like got the 30-inch um, waist and the, I don't even know how big his chest is, but he's a big dude. You know, think like a professional bodybuilder kind of body. And he's got short cropped blonde hair and, you know, the chiseled square jaw. Lane Parrish is your prototypical um, good looking like pro wrestler, I guess, as a way, you know, without all the uh, skin oil and the shaved chest <laughs> that a pro wrestler might have. But so I so I, I invented Lane to be like that, but also to balance out Lane, I gave him a small daughter. And so this is very, and if you've read the Lane Parrish books, you know that Lane Parrish's daughter is very intentional to his story. And a one quick side thing, people have commented on Lane's last name, Parrish. It's P-A-R-R-I-S-H. 
that it's a play on the word perish, P-E-R-I-S-H. And I want to thank people for noticing that, but it was not intentional. <laughs> it was just kind of an accidental thing that I did. I did not intend to make his name, his last name, sound like a synonym for dying. But that would have been cool if I had thought of that. Anyway, so Lane began his life in Blood Thief, and then he also appears um, briefly, uh, I'm pretty sure, in the Micah Reed book Stone Deep. He appears in the Micah Reed book Prison Runner. And then he features heavily in the book Shock Collar because by the time I got around to writing Shock Collar, um, I knew that Lane Parrish was going to have his own solo series because at that point, you know, I'd written three books with Lane in it and I developed Lane as a character a little more. And I was like, I really like this guy. And I think he's strong enough to be the hero of his own series. I don't mean physically strong. I mean that He's strong enough as a character. You know, he has his weaknesses, his strengths. He has his pros and cons. He has his own, like Micah, he has his own past that um, that maybe isn't fully above board. And, you know, there could be things in his past that could be revealed to readers as they go along. So I knew that Lane was going to have his own series. So Shock Collar, the seventh book in the Micah Reed series, essentially is the jumping off point for Elaine to go off and have his own adventures. It essentially serves as a prequel of sorts because throughout the course of the book, Lane basically has to sever ties with Micah for reasons that I won't go into because they're spoilers. And and then that leads into Shadow Soldiers. Now let me actually talk about the book I came here to talk about. Shadow Soldiers was initially called Clockwork Soldiers. That was the initial title which I, I got that title from um, a phrase in a video game, and I just really, really liked it. I liked the idea of a clockwork soldier because Lane Parrish, and this is a tiny little bit of a spoiler, but Lane Parrish used to basically, he used to work for the government as a spy and an assassin, and he found himself doing things in the service of that career that he didn't always want to do. And so he sort of felt like, he felt... Um, he was sort of a wind-up toy being controlled by other people, and he always resented it. And that's what eventually led to Lane, you know, quitting government service after um, after five or six years, I think, five or, or maybe a decade. I don't remember now. Anyway, so I thought Clockwork Soldiers was a good term because he was a, basically a clandestine soldier, and he wasn't always in control. He wasn't the master of his destiny, and so he was like a clockwork soldier. They would wind him up and let him go. Um, but ultimately, I changed the title, and I'll explain that in a minute. So Clockwork Soldiers, which became Shadow Soldiers, is the only, at least as of this recording, is the only traditionally published book that I've written. All of my other books are independently published under my own publishing company, Royal Arch Books. But after I wrote Clockwork Soldiers, I entered it into a competition that Amazon had at the time called Kindle Scout. Kindle Scout is no longer around RIP, and I was actually one of the last books chosen. I ran a campaign. Uh, you know, I promoted the heck out of the book because I really wanted to win. It was there for a month, and I already spoiled it for you. After a month, um, the way it works is you put your book up on this website, and people can go vote for the book. Um, and then if, they, if Amazon chooses to publish the book under their publishing um, house, Kindle Press, then... Um, 
than the people who voted for the book get it for free. And it was a really cool program. And it's, it's, a, it's a shame it's not around anymore. I'm not sure why Amazon canned it. Kindle Press didn't ever actually tell us why it got canned. Um, so the after month book one, uh, they put me in, you know, into, they gave me an editor at Kindle Press, you know, who was like, uh, let's talk about the book. I want to give you a developmental editor to make some suggestions. And they didn't really suggest very much, just a couple things. They suggested that I change about the, the plot. Um, there were really minor details that didn't actually affect, you know, the, the overall story. But then one of the things they said was they thought the title Clockwork Soldiers made it sound too much like um, steampunk. And at first I didn't agree with that, but I eventually came around to understanding, yeah, that, that and I came up with the name Shadow Soldiers and realized that it, it worked just as well because they, uh, I, I changed the story in subsequent books to indicate that shadows are what the people in this little team called themselves. And I made some changes to the cover and worked with the editor, you know, to get it all spit polished and working well. And it was generally overall a pleasant experience working with Kindle Press. Now a little bit about the story. So I knew that the Lane Parish series was going to be different than the Micah Reed series, where the Micah Reed series is essentially, I would call them mystery thrillers with a touch of noir. Um, you know, noir books are generally about a guy who's not a good guy, but is the hero of the story. Um, and the Micah Reed books are kind of like that because, you know, he's got this dark past and he used to do bad things and he was a criminal. And the but Lane was going to be different. Lane is more like a straight up action hero. Um, he's more like Jack Reacher, but except with, um, you know, like like with roots and with people he cares about. You know, he, he's got the, that, the butt kicking abilities of Jack Reacher, but without the sort of drifter mentality that Jack Reacher has. And so I wanted to write a story um, where Lane could shine and. In this, in Shadow Soldiers, Lane goes to Australia, and most of the book takes place in Australia, which is, a, again, a slight spoiler, but I'm assuming that you might have already read the book. Um, because I used to live in Australia. I'm an American, but I lived in Australia for a couple years, um, back in 2009 and 10, and I, I, loved, I loved being there. It was quite an adventure, and I wanted to write a story about being there. Um, so I set this, I'd written Australian characters before, but I wanted to set a book there. And there were a couple of character things that I wanted to do. Um, one was like, you know, Micah has, my, every character, every good character in fiction has a kryptonite, right? Um, and Micah reads kryptonite, especially early on in the earlier books, is his sobriety, is his drinking. Because he, the fact that he's just gotten sober, and if you don't know anything about sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous, um, when when people when people are drinking, who are alcoholics are drinking, they're a wreck. But often, when or I mean, almost always, when they get sober, they don't you know on like day one go back to being perfect people. There's a long drawn out process uh, where alcoholics early in recovery struggle, and a lot of that a lot of that has to do with the fact that alcoholics use alcohol to treat as as medicine to treat their problems. And then all of a sudden they get sober, they still have all the same problems, but they no longer have their medicine to treat it with. And so in the early books, especially Micah struggles a lot with trying to just be a regular person. And he, you know, 
his um his his newly sober brain is pretty scrambled. So I wanted to give Lane kind of a kryptonite like that too. And so for Lane, it's the fact that he's coming out of retirement and he's constantly worried about whether or not his skills have dulled. You know, like when when Lane makes a mistake, he thinks I wouldn't have made that mistake 10 years ago. Um, so that's that's sort of Lane's kryptonite. And another thing, the 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 way that it parallels the Micah Reed books is the Micah Reed books have this, I wouldn't say it's a gimmick, but it's like a feature, I guess, or just um, a facet of the storytelling is that the stories jump around in time. You know, one book might take, might take place when Micah is a year sober, and then the next book might take place six months before he got sober. So each book is like a um, a puzzle piece that fits into the larger overall story while also standing alone as a self-contained story. But when I made the Lane Parish books, I didn't want to do it like that. I didn't want to jump around in time with tell- telling Lane stories, but I wanted to be able to give you insights into Lane's backstory. So I came up with this interlude system where every Lane Parish book tells a story within the story through these things called interludes. And I'll go into more detail about the individual interludes in the rest of this podcast season, the individual episodes. But in book one, the interludes aren't don't work like the ones in the rest of the series. In, in the rest of the series, each interlude tells pieces of a specific story. But this one is sort of more like the overall story of how Lane came to go from being recruited by, by his handler, Daphne Keurig, to being actually to saying yes I'm going to join the team so that is really just a brief explanation of the interlude system it enables me to tell a current story you know like the, the bulk of each of the Lane Parish books tell a story in the present while also telling a story that gives you more insight into Lane's uh, past and his character and how he got to be where he is all right, I've rambled on a whole lot now, so I think I will um, go ahead and get into reading Chapter 1 of Shadow Soldiers by me, Jim Heskett. Lane Parrish always loved a good rumpus. Nestled in a cramped bed next to a little girl named Cameron, he flipped to the last page of Where the Wild Things Are. Daddy, she said. Yes, little one. Why did Max go home? Why can't he stay with the wild things? because he missed his family. Cameron stared at the page, an illustration of the protagonist sailing across the water toward home. Pale brow creased, her face riddled with confusion, thinking. Her eyes were kaleidoscopic puddles of blue crystal, glistening under the meager light of the bedside lamp. The young child readjusted herself on the twin bed, and Lane had to pivot his weight to keep from slipping over the side. He missed his mommy and daddy? Lane nodded. He did. In his pocket, a phone buzzed. He slipped it out to find a call from an unknown number lighting up the screen. Unknown to the phone companies, but Lane had a strong suspicion who was on the line. The same person who had been calling and texting him relentlessly for the last two days. Daddy, put it away. You said no more screens. You're right, he said as he jabbed it back into his pocket. Watching screens after dark makes our eyes cross, right? He crossed his eyes and let his tongue loll out. She giggled and poked his chest with a finger not much bigger than a toothpick. Daddy, stop. Cameron traced one of her fingers along his arm, gliding along a particular section of the tattoos that covered it from wrist to shoulder. A cherub in the middle of his forearm, 
obscuring a gunshot wound from long ago. The cherub now appeared faded and blurry on his forty-year-old arms. The phone squirmed inside his pocket again, demanding attention. A repeat call. This time, though, he ignored the eager person on the other end of the line. It's time for bed, he said. She pondered this for a moment and then frowned. Are the wild things going to get me? You're a wild thing, he said, and his fingers leaped to her belly for a tickle. She cackled, writhing, and he instantly regretted it. Bedtime was supposed to be calm time, but he couldn't resist torturing such an easy target. Okay, okay, little one, time for bed for real. She pushed out a breath, the remnants of tickle energy fading. Her lids were heavy, her motions thick, like a person wading through swampy water. She was an inch away from sleep. Lane anticipated no bedtime false starts tonight. I love you much, Daddy. He kissed her forehead as he drew the covers up to her shoulders. And I love you much, little one. He sneaked across the room and rested a hand on the light switch. I'll be right downstairs, okay? Okay, Daddy. Lane flicked out the light and stole one last look at her, a miniature head nestled on a Thomas the Tank Engine pillow. He closed the door behind him as his phone buzzed yet again. He didn't bother to take it out. Next, a knock came at the front door downstairs. He paused for a moment in front of his daughter's room to make sure she wouldn't call out. No way was she asleep already, but maybe she hadn't heard it. The excitement of someone coming to the door would turn bedtime into a circus requiring a whole new set of little kid cool-down routines. She made no sound. No vibration through the door. Lane held perfectly still until another knock came. He wasn't unreachable in this small town, but he almost never had visitors. And never unannounced or after dark. The neighbors knew about bedtime policy and wouldn't betray Lane's evening ritual. He hustled down the stairs, past the fireplace, and through the living room to the front door. Keeping his large body close to the wall, he eased toward the framed art print of a stretch of highway cutting across a Nevada desert. Three motorcycle riders blurred with speed, the stark highway underneath them rippling with heat. After lifting that off the wall, he accessed the hidden vault behind it. He pressed his thumb against a small pad in the lower left corner. A moment later, it clicked and then opened. Inside were two Glock 19 MOS with Triacon RMR sights and four extra magazines. He loaded a magazine into each pistol but left them inside the safe. He inched toward the door and slid open a small cover on the other side, revealing a 6-inch LCD panel connected to a video camera concealed above the front door. With squinted eyes, he tapped the screen to wake it. A hefty sigh then escaped his lips. A tall brunette with curly hair posed on his front porch, wrapped in a heavy winter coat, shivering against the flakes of snow cascading down around her. He gritted his teeth and shut the wall vault, rehung the framed poster. Lane opened the front door. Hello, Daphne. Let me in, she said, grimacing. It's cold as hell out here. It's December at 8,000 feet. Obviously it's cold. She strutted inside and hooked a heel to kick the door shut behind her. She spent a couple of seconds unspooling the scarf around her neck like a mummy unwrapping herself. I don't know why you insisted on Colorado, and not even somewhere sensible like Denver, but way the hell up here in the backwoods. What can I do for you? She let her coat slip off her shoulders and crash to the floor. Lane did not miss the fact that she was wearing a form-fitting business suit, one that amplified every one of her curves. Daphne strutted around the living room, rubbing her hands together and casting narrow eyes at the decor in this house. It wasn't much, but Lane didn't care about decorating. 
He cared more about child-proofing the electrical outlets and making sure Cameron had plenty of space for her toys, which littered the floor like grenade shrapnel. As she glanced into the kitchen, she grinned at his refrigerator. Still adding to your magnet collection, I see. Lane said nothing. Daphne paused before a framed print of the Denver skyline hanging above the modest television in the living room. What do you have to drink? He shook his head. We're not doing that. Why don't you just tell me why you're here so I can politely refuse and send you on your way? Aw, Boy Scout, she said, mock pouting. You really need to work on your conversational skills. I haven't seen you in so long and all you have to offer me is hostility and bitterness? You know when you drop a lobster into a cold pot and then slowly turn up the heat so he doesn't know he's boiling? That's how this feels right now. Wearing a wry grin, Daphne sashayed across the room and slipped her hands around Lane's waist. This is a far cry from how you used to greet me after a long absence. Remember the Radisson in Houston? I thought we were going to break the bed. Look, I just put my daughter down for the night. She sometimes doesn't sleep well at this altitude, so I would like to sit in my recliner and drink a fat tire while I read my book. After that, I'm going to bed so I can be ready when she wakes up to go potty two or three hours from now. How can I hurry this conversation along so I can get to my alone time faster? She removed her arms and stepped away from him. Fine, dear, I'll get to the point. You're needed for something and it's important. Give me two minutes and I can lay it all out for you. He shook his head, feeling the familiar burn of a headache ignite behind his eyes. You're not even curious, she said. Not even a little? Nope. You have to trust me, Lane. I can tell you most of it now and the rest when we're at our destination. This operation is something that affects you personally. I'm not interested. I appreciate you coming all this way, but it was a wasted trip. He pointed up toward the ceiling, toward the room where Cameron slept. That's the only thing that affects me personally anymore. We don't have time for this cat and mouse foreplay, she said. No cat and mouse. There's nothing you can say to make me jump back into that life, and whatever is at stake here, you can get your own people to handle it. I'm done. Daphne chewed on her lower lip for a second, then sighed. You're making a mistake. I can live with that. 100%? This is your final answer? He stared, stone-faced, figured he'd said all he needed to say. So be it. She dropped to a crouch to pick up her coat, slipped it on, and carried the scarf in her hand as she marched toward the door. Lane opened it for her, saying nothing as she exited. When the door had closed, he stood there watching the LCD screen as she shuffled through the snow toward the street. A brief pang of guilt thumped his chest. That he should have agreed to hear her out at least. She'd come a long way, and it couldn't have been for no reason. But, then again, Lane didn't do this kind of work anymore. He'd left that life behind years ago for something simpler, something less dangerous. He continued to study her tiny avatar on the screen as she reached the edge of his yard, couldn't see what car she'd arrived in. As she shucked snow from her shoes, Daphne lifted a phone to her ear. Her head peeked back toward his front door as she mouthed some words into the phone. He could see it in her eyes. His finger jabbed the button next to the LCD screen to change the view. First it cycled to the camera at the side of the house, then to the rear porch, at two black-clad shadows breaking into his back door. Their footsteps padded across the threshold into his house. He spun around as he felt the first pinch, a jab in the side of his stomach, like a heavy-duty mosquito bite. 
His eyes flicked down to see a stick no longer than a match jutting from his shirt. An instant of wooziness struck him, and his vision filled with stars. Through his living room, Lane could see two figures slinking into his kitchen from the back laundry room. Both were dressed head to toe in black, one man and one woman. The female had an arm extended, a device like a pistol in her hands, stun dart gun. Lane turned back toward the wall safe next to his front door when the second pinch happened, this one in his back, like a needle jabbed into his spine. He wrenched a hand back to pluck the dart from his skin, wobbling on his feet, not sure if he could keep himself upright for much longer. His eyelids fluttered. The two figures in the kitchen continued to advance. Lane spun and raced toward them. He swerved along the way, bumping against his recliner. He could barely keep his eyes open. His hands felt like meat dumbbells hanging from his arms. From around the corner by the fireplace emerged a third assailant, same attire. Lane pivoted and drove his shoulder into the man's chest, knocking him back against the wall. He noted one odd thing. Aside from the stun dart pistol, they'd brought no weapons. Not here to kill him. He ducked down and swept the nearest attacker's leg, knocking the man off balance and sending him to the floor. The third pinch hit him, this time in the shoulder blade. The world spun. His chest tightened while his limbs flopped, feeling out of control. He couldn't raise his arms. His eyelids wanted to slam shut. His body weighed a thousand pounds. He sank to one knee a few inches away from the man on the floor, now incapacitated. Lane struggled to draw in a breath as the weight of his own frame succeeded in pulling him to the floor. Lane rotated onto his back as he fell to the carpet. The ceiling swam and his mouth lolled open. Two figures loomed over him, both of them wearing dark fabric over their faces. Lane made one last attempt to swipe at a nearby ankle before his lids closed completely, then darkness. Okay, and that was chapter one of Shadow Soldiers, and this has been a very long episode, so I'm going to go ahead and cut it off here and just say thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. I hope you'll come back next week, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.